Welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You, a daily podcast that shines a light on the American justice system and its role in empowering the powerful to take from you. The justice system is the only branch of your government where an individual, rather than the collective, can make the system act for you. It puts power in the individual's hands, but it's broken and being used against you at a time when you need it most. And welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You. I'm Sonia Ebrin, a co-founder at Courtroom 5. And I'm Deborah Sloan, the other co-founder at Courtroom 5. Wonderful show lined up for you today. In a few moments, we will speak with Joseph George at George and George ADR, that's Alternative Dispute Resolution. And we'll talk about some of the services they offer to uh, help people settle issues out of court. Before we get there, though, Deborah, what's on your mind today? I want to talk a little bit about an American uh, Bar Association resolution that I think was put out either earlier this year or uh, the end part of last year. And it's to adopt a set of judicial ethical codes for the U.S. Supreme Court. All the courts in the, in the country, except the U.S. Supreme Court, basically have a code of, of uh, standards that they must follow, the judicial standards that they must follow. But the Supreme Court doesn't have that. And because they don't have that, the Bar Association feels that the legitimacy of the court is, is kind of uh, diminished. If people stop believing in the court, believing that the court is fair, uh, there's, there's going to be a problem. So they want to basically come up with a set of judicial codes for the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, the Bar Association doesn't have any authority to make them follow them, but uh, I think it's at, at least it's something that that I, I think they need to be focusing on because, uh, who, I mean, who else is going to do that? <laughs> so I hope something positive comes out of that, at least. I, I'm just reminded, uh, kudos to the to the uh, American Bar Association for that. Not everybody can speak to the Supreme Court in the way that they can. I think that's an important statement or resolution for them. And I'm just reminded as you were speaking there that one of the biggest challenges we have at Courtroom 5 is mm. uh, persuading people that they can actually get a hearing in court, fair hearing in court, you know, and it's because people honestly believe the courts are so corrupt at all levels, but certainly the the lack of ethics and the, the news around Justice Thomas and, and just, I mean, he's not unique there. Just some of the ethical challenges that uh, we've heard about don't help the average American have faith in this system. And we really need that as a, you know, in any democratic system, we need to believe that the courts are fair and, and at least not corrupt. So kudos again to the ABA for, for making that resolution. Well, at Courtroom 5, we believe the courts belong to the people, in particular to the people who use them. And we, the people, are coming to claim our courts. Uh, so if you are in court without a lawyer uh, or you need to sue someone and can't find a lawyer to represent you, get yourself over to courtroom5.com and give it a try. At this time, I'm happy to welcome to the show Joseph George at George and George ADR.com. Uh, Joseph, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Miss um, Sonia and Miss Deborah. Thank you guys for having me on your show. Fantastic. So let's start at the top. Tell us about uh, your company and uh, ADR and just explain that whole concept. So George and George uh, ADR Group was founded actually out of COVID um, when I was out on a work injury. I got with my sister and 
And we decided this is what we wanted to do. And we opened up our practice. Little did we know that there was uh, very little advertising in our industry. So it was kind of a struggle for us to actually figure out how to advertise our business when it's never really been done. You've never seen an ADR firm on a billboard. All you see is attorneys and insurance companies. Um, but we uh, steadfast to our beliefs in helping people resolve conflicts. So, you know, we came up with strategies to overcome those little bit of hurdles. And then we opened up our firm and we've been doing a lot of construction um, disputes. We've done a lot of um, employment, eminent domain. We do um, a wide range of things that we actually do. Consumer, definitely breach of contract is one of our biggest things. And landlord and tenant. Uh, and the landlord and tenant one is the one that's always the, uh, it's always the most complex one along with the construction because now you're dealing with somebody who's in the home and don't want to leave when the landlord say, hey, the money's due. Um, especially in these tough times after COVID, you know, and the different job markets and economy price has gone up drastically. I mean, you go out now to buy a bag of bread that, you know, you could have buy for a dollar a couple of years ago. Now it's like two and three and four dollars for a bag of bread and steak now that was nine dollars is now thirty dollars for steak. So you know, with the, the prices and of inflation and everything that's gone up now, there's a rising conflict within, you know, people want to stay in their home as well as, you know, the job market. It's it's a employee's market now versus the employee's market. So now everybody's being picky in the jobs. And then you have some job companies that do a lot of bit of a toxic uh, work culture. So people want, is now feeling empowered to just get up and quit the job now because, of the Me Too movement. So that's where our firm comes in and we um, we help to balance the playing field with both parties. We don't really, um, unless they get arbitration. If they get arbitration, then it's, it's, we look at the facts of the case. But if it's mediation, we help, we assist both parties in finding a better resolution to resolve that dispute. And our alternative dispute ADR is composed of different components, which is arbitration, mediation, negotiation, facilitation, and conciliation. So it's a comprise of different components that actually helps anyone who wants to resolve the dispute in whatever level of stage that they are in their conflict. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you for that that explanation. So alternative dispute resolution, variety of uh, different methods. You mentioned arbitration, mediation, facilitation, a number of different ways. How do you decide for a particular dispute, you know, which which of those is most appropriate for helping people resolve the issue? It depends on the client. Sometimes the client or or the court, sometimes the court has mandatory mediation or mandatory arbitration. But if it's the client outside private sector that's coming to us, they usually want either arbitration or mediation, and it depends on the type of industry they are in. If it's a lemon law, that's automatically going to go to arbitration. If it's construction, that's automatically going to go to arbitration. If it's a breach of contract, that could go arbitration or it could go to mediation because it depends on the clause that they have drafted into the contract. So sometimes we could tell them which is best for them if they don't know. But most of the time, people know what, they, what they're coming into or what they actually want. But if we feel something is beneficial to them, we would say, hey, I think this is something that's more better for arbitration if both parties can't seem to 
Because if they come, if, if before they come to us, if they already know what they want, and sometimes they'll argue amongst themselves. And then they'll say, we'll try mediation. But sometimes you could figure out from both parties once talking to them that whether mediation is good for them. And you could say, hey, I think this might not be solvable in mediation, but do you want to try arbitration where I could listen to the facts of the case, just the facts, and base my decision on the facts for both parties? And most of the time they'll say, we would rather do arbitration because they don't want to go to court. So it's just another way of them actually coming in and having a case settled just like the court system. Right, right. And so if you get into the, I'm thinking about the arbitration here, if you are essentially acting as a judge, I imagine they're, you know, weighing the facts of, of either side. How is that different um, from actually ha- having a judge do that in the litigation process? Why would people prefer to arbitrate if the facts are, you know, important and you get to be the judge? What's the difference there? The difference is uh, most most arbitrators is educated in the field that they actually work in. Ah. You have a lot of insight into that industry and expertise. And then you have a little bit more wiggle room that you that the courtrooms don't allow because they're subject to certain laws. Arbitration does have its own ethics and bylaws also, um, depending on the panel that you're working for, because there's different panels out there. We actually look at the facts of the case. So we read everything. We listen to the the um, opening statement. We listen to the arguments on both sides. Um, then we listen to the closing statements by the parties and any evidence that they bring in or exhibits that they bring in to us. We actually look at all those facts. And on top of that, it's confidential for the parties because it's in the courtroom. Everything is recorded in the courtroom. So, and then it's binding. So once, once we actually come up with a uh, arbitration is what you call arbitration award, and that's it versus a uh, judgment by a judge. So in arbitration, it's called arbitration award. So once we come up with that arbitration award, it's binding on both parties. They could take that and it's incident in in the court. Now the only time arbitration is ever overturned is on very narrow terms. Let's say uh, one party gifted the arbitrator something, and the other party overheard that that was happening then he could go to the judge and say, well, he received a gift from this person and I think he was receiving some type of kickback. Then the judge will look into the case and say, I find some of issue with this and the judge would overturn the arbitration award and probably um, recommend that another arbitration take, take place. Fantastic. That's extraordinary. And it's a quicker process. You know, you could set it up in a week versus your week in a year. The cost is a whole lot less than litigation. And you don't have to pay attorney's fees. You can have attorney present in arbitration, but it's not required. But I always tell people, if it's a lot of money involved, always get an attorney involved. If it's a lot of money, you only have one shot at it. So um, take your best shot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, I just looking at your researching your bio, I know that you have a long list and you're on your co-founder there of um, certifications. And so, you know, the average person, I couldn't just walk into a dispute and say, I'm the arbitrator. You know, let's get this done. Um, you have to have certain you know, certifications. Can you talk a bit about your background and just what's required to be able to, to fulfill that role? Well, to be an arbitrator, they're, they're getting stricter now with the arbitration. But to be an arbitrator, you got to just be, you could be attorney, retired judge, or sub, what we call a subject matter expert. Subject matter expert means that field for amount of years, so you know the ins and outs of that industry. 
So I always tell people, if you're going to be an arbitrator, make sure you know the industry that you're working in because sometimes you, you have to be there to help the parties move that dispute along. And just knowing the industry, you could go to the other party and you could say, hey, you know, if you do this, this is not going to work. This is, this is against the ethics of this particular industry. So if this person decides to go to court, then this might not help your case. So you could tell them how strong their case is just because you're in the industry. And people come, people listen to you also. But in arbitration, you're really just there to listen to the facts of the case. You're not like a mediator where you could interject a little bit of knowledge, but you can ask questions that they could they, they in their mind, they'd be like, if he's asking this question, it's gotta be a reason why he's asking this question. But as far as the criteria for arbitration, again, it's just to be a subject matter expert in the area that you're going to go in and arbitrate. The reason I have so much certifications under my belt is because I believe in investing in yourself. That's if you want to grow anywhere in life, invest in yourself. That's the greatest investment. You could uh, get money today and it could be gone tomorrow. But what they can take away is your knowledge that you have. That's right. That's right. Fantastic. You mentioned a number of industries, I think, at the outset that you all provide services in construction. I think from your bio, I read uh, the beauty industry, a number of others. Um, and, And so, you know, you want to know in order to serve people involved in those, something about the construction industry, something about the the beauty industry or whatever it is that you're working on. I absolutely see the value over having to do this inside a court where you maybe have to hire an expert, right, to educate the court about the specific industry. And so it's very valuable. Uh, Certainly a lower cost alternative than having to to deal with litigation itself. But can you share uh, with our viewers just some, you know, without violating privacy, certainly, just some of the experiences you've had as an arbitrator or mediator? I'll step into the beauty industry because a lot, the beauty industry, everybody think that everything is so uh, okay in the beauty industry and it's not. Believe it or not, the beauty industry is one of the toughest industries because the beauty industry has a lot of issues that happen in the beauty industry. Like you have the consumer products. So let's say the manufacturer makes a product and it it goes out to mass market and that product affects, let's say, a facial product. And that product makes somebody's face break out or turn it blue or whatever for whatever reason. That goes back to the manufacturer liability. So that's where a lot of people don't get. Same as salon and spas. The salon and spas, they have what you call private label. So when you have private label products, that's where the salon or spa decide to go to this manufacturer and pay a certain amount of money to get a product, same product that the manufacturer is mass producing, get it under their own name, and they send that product out to the company. Now, that salon or spa doesn't have a contract in place where you have, it's called a insurance clause inside there. And that insurance clause is stating that manufacture this product. If any of the clients that are hurt on this product, the manufacturer is going to represent with their attorneys and their chemists to find out what happened. A lot of people know when you remove a cosmetic from this specific package and put it in another package, you actually could endanger yourself because some bottles are not designed to hold certain products because of the active ingredient inside there may damage, may, um, in certain plastic jars that the product is too hot for it. So it'll 
drain that chemical from that plastic bottle in with the, the product and that could cause harm to the person. So if they do that and the manufacturer find out that that's what actually happened, then the liability falls on the consumer, not the manufacturer. So when those disputes are roused, they usually contact out from. We is, I think, one of two um, mediation and arbitration firm that actually work with the cosmetic and beauty industry. And we've been doing this for a long time in the beauty industry. I've actually been one of the top salon and spa consultants where I've helped salon and spas open and close. Um, I even invested some salon and spas in my earlier years. So I noticed salon and spa industry inside and out. And that's where that's the where, you know, salon had a private label through the manufacturer, but it didn't have that clause in there. And because the clause was inside it, the manufacturer did not help them. So they had to get their own outside counsel to aid them in trying to resolve this with the consumer. It was in reality it was that the consumer removed the product into another container, which puts the liability on the consumer. So that would resolve very quickly in mediation. Yeah, I see absolutely where knowledge of the industry comes into play uh, here. These issues can get um, uh, can get very complex. Now, I know you are based uh, in Florida, certified in Florida. Are your services restricted to Florida or do you serve a larger market? We have a lot of a group that's with us, too. So we have other people that work behind the scenes. So we do. Um, I personally have done international cases on big $20 million cases in international um, because of my past experience of doing mergers and acquisition for big firms. So my background spans so many years of me being a negotiator and growing from being a business negotiator into a mediator to an arbitrator. And also, <laughs> I'm also a hostage negotiator. So I'm on that kind of like I say, I, I'm not trying to toot my own home, but I'm on that echelon level of the conflict resolution chart. Because hostage negotiation is is the peak of the conflict resolution chart, if you really look at it in the pyramid standpoint. And that's because mediation, you're moving information between the parties. Arbitration, you're actually deciding on someone's case for them. Hostage negotiation is completely different. You're actually saving, preventing a life loss, whether it's the pursuer or it's the person that's held hostage, you're preserving life. So it's a high scheme where there's no room for error. So that's where I come in and that's why our firm gets seeked out from other people because of the uniqueness that we actually do. We're actually not trying to reinvent the wheel, but improve it a little bit better because it's been stagnant, it's been the same for years. But again, since COVID, a lot of things have changed globally on what we used to do. So now we're embracing certain things and making sure that we still stay within the ethics of what the guidelines is by the different court systems. That is a fascinating take, I think, on on mediation, to be able to look at that from a hostage negotiation uh, perspective. Certainly some extraordinary skills at play there. And so I know that you have attracted a very large following in a very short period of time. You've been uh, in business for around a year or so, uh, but have, you know, thousands of people following you and being interested in what you're doing um, and, and seeking your services. How did you grow so quickly, you know, and just share with us uh, the, the way that you reach uh, some of the folks who need you? Well, actually, we've been in business for three years now. And the, and, and the way that we actually grow 
is how should I be? I kind of like, like again, the industry did not actually have a, temp, a template or a guideline for anybody to follow. So I went to my back cave and I figured out how to make this work. So being that I have an MBA in business and marketing, I sit down and strategize, how can I reach the public versus the court system when attorneys and everybody's backlog with cases, I've called attorneys around and figure out, well, how did you guys get clients? A lot of them shunk me away. So it was not an easy journey. I've had some tell me, oh, you're not an attorney, so you're not going to get any customers and this and that. But, you know, with my mindset, I don't ever listen to the naysayers. People, when people see as a threat, they always try to chop you down before you grow. So I don't ever listen to naysayers. I follow my own beat of my own drum. So I went in and I figured out if I get a video and we call them explainer videos. So I created explainer videos and a video goes online and it explains arbitration, explains mission. So I did several, I think I did like seven videos and I posted them on Facebook, Instagram. I posted them on LinkedIn and people start like, oh, wow, I like your video. Even some of the guys who's been in the industry for 30 something years, when they saw my video, they start calling me like, hey, uh, I like that video you did. Who did it? And I say, I have a video guy who does all this stuff for me. They're like, man, that was so informative. I've never even seen that before. Start putting it on YouTube and people start calling me. I even had attorneys who actually turned me down, start calling me for advice on how to market the industry. I was actually, and a and, um, couple months ago, I was actually the first to firm, media arbitration firm, to actually have a billboard. So people saw my name on the billboard and say, hey, I, I was driving down and I saw you on the billboard. I never knew that arbitration and mediation, you know, uh, firms did billboards. And I was like, why not? Who's telling you that you can't? You know, <laughs> I mean, if attorneys and insurance are there for you to promote your business. So you got to promote your business. On top of that, I created articles and I've had an article in a Dubai magazine. And after I put it in that Dubai magazine, they, they reached out to me and said, hey, we saw you on LinkedIn. We saw your, one of your videos. We'd like to have an interview. So they did the interview. I sent it out to them. And after I did that Dubai thing, it even got even crazy after that. I mean, people start calling like, we see you on this Dubai magazine. And because <laughs> uh, Dubai has such a high standard. So they know if, if, it's, if Dubai likes it, it's got to be a reason because Dubai's standard of excellence is beyond America's excellence. It's, it's, it's like people try to reach. So. I um, did storytelling with, with different podcasts and things like that. So that's how we grew. I stay grinding every day. When my competitors is sleeping, I'm up at two o'clock at night trying to figure out another way on another article. We have to draft one up. Some other type of podcast I have to reach out to somebody at. So I stay, I stay hungry. I don't get relaxed. My competitors are relaxed. And now they're behind me now. And But at the same time, I stay humble because you have to stay humble because what's given can be taken. So you have to stay humble, but a great leader always help people come up with him. So I help other people. I do observation. I help out other mediators who's coming into the industry. They observe with me. So I show them how to do what I do and I teach them. So that's how I grew so quick is just by helping other people come up the ladder at the same time. Instead of saying, hey, don't worry about it. Or, hey, I don't have time for you. I make time for them. And I say, hey, 
I have this case coming up. Let me ask the parties if they don't mind you to observe. Once they agree to that you're allowed to observe, then you could come in and you could watch. And I, after that, they come in, they watch, and they tell their friends, and it, we just keep growing. We, we just put, again, we stay hungry. <laughs> really appreciate your entrepreneurial spirit there. That's fantastic. Joseph George at georgeandgeorgeadr.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Joseph, where else can people find you online? Uh, they could look for us on LinkedIn. It, it's under my, uh, my nickname that people call me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Matrix George. So when people look for me online, they'll probably pop me up on different podcasts and stuff like that. So they could type in Joseph, you know, Matrix George, and I'll pop up online um, pretty much anywhere in an article or on a podcast or TV show. We'll share that uh, in the show notes with our audience. Thank you so much, uh, Joseph, for joining us on Who Wrote That Up For You. Best of luck. Continue to grind. And we will uh, be in touch soon. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Fantastic. That is a great service. I had never thought about um, ADR um, and mediation in terms of hostage negotiation. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's extraordinary. That is really a fascinating take on that entire profession. Fantastic. All right. Well, Deborah, do you have a final thought for us today? Yeah, I have a little quiz here. Question. Which of the following is an example of an affirmative defense? Is it a summary judgment? A judgment of default, a court in satisfaction, or leave to amend. Now, in my mind, that's really, really very, very simple question. And the answer is a court in satisfaction. The other ones are either positions or uh, documents, something you file. And so uh, court in satisfaction is a defense in, uh, in a contract case where two people decide that they want to have basically an alternative uh, contract uh, outside of the uh, an original contract. And so uh, they uh, that's called an accord and satisfaction. I feel like I knew that one. I got that. I think <laughs> I, I, I got that one right. That's fantastic. All right. Thank you for sharing that with us, Deborah. That's all we have for you today. Uh, we will see you again uh, very soon. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Are you feeling beleaguered, angry, or afraid? As if things are spinning out of control and you're powerless to stop them? It's easy to just let things slide and hope they don't get worse. But they often do get worse. The thing is, you're not powerless. Our courts belong to us, and their purpose is to give power to the powerless. Don't let your grievances pile up without redressing them. You can handle this in court, or if someone takes you to court, you can take them to school.